0: Good morning all nice to see you on this uh, early summer intermittently sunny and rainy day welcome to the PNW right summer is upon us uh, school is getting out and uh, the uh, the summer blockbuster movie season is here right woo woo there's uh, all the yeah. big Top Gun so I was gonna just ask about that top anybody see the new Top Gun movie Anybody going to see the new Top Gun movie? Okay, some of you are excited to see that. Yeah, you know, it's interesting to me. it's a sequel of a movie that came out thirty five years ago. How do you wait thirty five years between movies and do a sequel? A good percentage of the people that will go to see the movie weren't even born yet when the first one came out. How does that work? The other thing about that particular movie that bugs me, and I'm just gonna I'm just airing some laundry here this morning. Does it bother anybody that that Tom Cruise looks exactly the same as he did 35 years ago? Does that bother you? It's Scientology. It's I think it's like c- cybernetics or something. That's that's weird to me. That's weird to me that a guy But you do have the Buzz Lightyear sequel coming out. Buzz Lightyear also does not age. He looks the same. And then the new Jurassic Park is out and is coming out and then the the dinosaurs don't age. They're the same. So those, those dinosaurs and Buzz Lightyear and Tom Cruise, they're all kind of that same thing. Good movies, good favorite scenes, memorable scenes, memorable quotes. So uh, AFI, American Film Institute, put out a list of the top 100 movie quotes of all time. Anybody want to guess what the top? Don't put it up yet. Oh, you, oh how can I play games? It's gone. You already saw it. Number one movie quote of all time? Frankly, would you have said that without seeing it? No. Who would anybody? Go ahead. Go ahead. You ruined my game. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Gone with the wind, 1939. Coming in at number two. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Marlon Brando, the godfather. 1939, a very good year for movies. Number four. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Coming in at number eight, may the force be with you, Star Wars. Don't switch. <laughs> but the one that uh, I want to—the the point of all this—is the one I uh, caught my eye. Go ahead now. Gosh, where's my where's my good help when I need it? Coming in at number thirteen. Anybody remember Love Story? Ryan (laughs) O'Neill, a couple people, Ryan O'Neill, Ali McGraw, love means never having to say you're sorry. Number 13 on the all-time list of of great movie quotes, who agrees with that? that? So that's the point. That's the number 13th greatest movie line of all time, and no one buys it. No one buys it. Uh, I ha- I have determined uh, that love means having to say you're sorry fairly regularly, right? I mean, it's just part of the game, right? Um, and and the point is this: you know, love love is is a fairly complex issue, right? It is. It's complex. There's lots of. There's movies about love. There's lots of uh, productions of all kinds. There's songs about love. Let's, let's look at the lyrics of a couple songs about love. This is uh, the former band of one Johnny Wimber, the Righteous Brothers, back in the 50s. Uh, you, you never close your eyes anymore when I kiss your lips. There's no tenderness like before in your fingertips. You're trying hard not to show it, but baby, baby, I know it. You've lost that love and feeling. Whoa, that love and feeling. You lost that loving feeling, now it's gone, gone, gone. Whoa. Yeah, so so love it. They're, they're, they're telling us that that feeling, all the butterflies and the warm fuzzies and the goosebumps, all that, that's gone away. No mas. I think, um, in my estimation, 70s rockers, Boston got it a little closer to reality. Go ahead. It's more than a feeling, more than a feeling, more than a feeling. Um, uh, so we're going to start a new series today, in case you haven't wondered. Um, notice, titled, uh, Love Is. Go ahead and go to Love Is. What? I'm not going to, no, not rock songs. Love Is. Um, I, I always regret when I do this. I'm just, this is true confessions. I I, I plan a series that... Is on a well known or beloved passage of scripture. And there's so much pressure. I just feel like I should just teach out of Ezekiel 35 or something, and then no one cares. There's no pressure. But uh, the the series today, uh, beginning today and over the next uh, several weeks, is going to be a deep dive into 1 Corinthians 13. Um, So this morning, our title, our introductory message in this uh, series, go ahead. Is love is more than a, a feeling. So let's pray, and we'll uh, we'll jump in. Father, uh, just thanks for our worship time this morning, for community, for friends and family. We love you. We we honor you, and give glory to you. I pray you would give me some sort of uh, clarity and wisdom as we try to uh, take a look at your word. In your name, we pray. Amen. All right, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter thirteen. We're gonna just the intro today first uh, first three verses, um, which uh, well, for some reason, oh, I do have it. Uh, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body, to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So Paul opens what is uh one of his most, I think, uh both profound and poetic passages with this contrast. And he says, if I could speak in tongues, which you know, if you speak in tongues, you would say, Yeah, that's a good thing, it's helpful. Uh, but I don't have love, it really doesn't mean anything. And he continues with, uh, you know, on Pentecost Sunday, the gifts of the Spirit, the prophetic words and words of knowledge and wisdom and all that. Uh, if I have those things but don't have love, it's nothing. And then he goes on to say, faith, faith itself, even powerful faith that could move a mountain without love is nothing. If I were to live in a place of total sacrificial generosity, give away everything, not just some of what I have, give away everything I have, make a decision to live in poverty, Uh, just completely give up everything of my own to others. Uh, But I do that without love. It really doesn't amount to anything at all. Uh, There's nothing to it. I thought that, uh, in case there was any confusion over uh, what he is trying to say here, we would do one of our favorite little things, which is all to rah, da, 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 break for Greek. Uh, if you want to go to the next slide, we're going to look at the word nothing this morning. The original word in Greek is "odis," and it means no one, none, or nothing no one nothing at all is a powerful negating conjunction it rules out by definition that is shuts the door objectively and leaves no exceptions i didn't write this this is straight from strongs it is deductive in force so it excludes every any example that is included within the premise supposition odice not one none categorically excludes declaring as a fact that no valid example exists so if you were Wondering, does he really mean nothing? Yes, he means nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Um, you know, as I was thinking about it, the gifts of the Spirit, faith, poverty, all that, I, I, I suppose by association we could add other things. We could say, if you have a really great church with super cool worship and deep... Engaging sermons and wonderful community and fellowship. Even that stuff without love really is nothing. So, love is a non negotiable, it's, it's, it's all or nothing. Uh, it's, it's, it's a non negotiable proposition. Nothing else that we can do in the context of our faith, of our Christianity, if you think of your Christian life and everything that that entails, nothing we can do amounts to anything. It means nothing. It has no value, no purpose, no anything at all, if we neglect to love. Something as I was just uh, praying and, you know, kind of meditating or whatever this week on this, I felt compelled to add is that I don't see any qualifiers here. I don't think it says that we are to love except for immigrants or except for the LGBTQ community or except for a woman who's had an abortion. It's really definitive. We are to love. That's the answer. It also strikes me that, you know, some of the people in those categories that might be otherwise excluded are the very people that Jesus chose to hang out with. And, and what is, which is, that's one dynamic. But the weirder dynamic to me is that those same people really like to hang out with him. I, I just have to wonder, when people outside of the church today think about the church, what do they think of? What do they see? Uh, Do they see that dynamic of outrageous love and and extravagant welcome? Or or do they see the thought police? Do they see judgment? Do they see a sign that says, people are welcome, but maybe not you. Now, uh, I want to be fair. I believe this that there is a portion of the church, and maybe maybe even the majority of the church today that really is welcoming and loving there is a there is a segment that 's not so much, and the problem is that, as is the case in so much of life, sort of the extremists get all the pr isn 't that true so the the lunatic fringe the people way out on the edge tend to get the PR um, where the, you know, the rest of us suffer the consequences of that. That said, I, I don't think that that means that it isn't appropriate for all of us from time to time to just do some self-evaluation and to ask the questions. Um, you know, I'm going to check my own heart. Do, do I have prejudices? Do I have judgments? Do I exclude people from the love in my heart, generally speaking, uh, how, how would I respond if, if, if some folks in the aforementioned categories were to walk in the door of our church? Would, would I be welcoming and engaging and loving towards them? Um, so I, I think we established in the beginning there, uh, culturally through, through the media, you know, and, and so what we sort of see and what comes at us, love is very often associated with, with feelings. Our t- our title today is love is more than a feeling. That's, that's really what we're driving at. Um, you know, we, we say things like we, you fall in love, but then, you know, you might fall out of love, right? Um, you, when we, when, when somebody is in love, you get that sort of Warm, wonderful, cuddly kind of feeling, and it's all very nice, and it's a blessing. And I'll be honest; let's just let's just say that there are feelings associated with love, and that's a good thing. We we're all happy for that. I'm glad that that's the way it is. Um, but we cannot we cannot define love by feelings. Um, And we can't define love by feelings any more than we can define truth by feelings, right? The sort of postmodern mantra today, you know, is that truth is relative. My truth is not your truth. I have my own truth and you have your truth. So, uh, you know, if I were to, uh, as I'm going this week, I'll go see my ophthalmologist And my ophthalmologist says, you know, you have glaucoma and you have to put these drops in your eyes or you're going to go blind. I say, well, that's your truth. That's not my truth. What do you suppose is the outcome of that? (laughs) No, I put drops in my eyes. Um, So here, 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 uh, let me time out. This is really, really important in the context of our faith, And this is why I I, I can tell you from experience, having been a believer now for, you know, I don't know, 50 years, 50 years. I want to tell you, you are not always going to feel like God loves you. Okay. That feeling will come and go sometimes far and fast. You, you may be, I, you know, I, I know people, I've probably been there myself. You go to some conference, some worship thing, some event, Spirit of God is there. It's real. You feel the love of God. You get prayer. It's awesome. Two days later, you know what hits the fan. Everything falls apart. Your life is in the tank and you go, God, where are you? And that amazing feeling of love is Gone. And let me say, if you base God's love for you on feeling it, it's going to be a rough road, a really rough road. I will say this. He loves you. That's the truth, whether you feel it or not. Feelings are essentially a chemical reaction in our brain. I don't understand all of the physiology of it, but I do know that, Certain things happen, circumstances take place in the course of life, and your brain releases certain chemicals. I don't know if it's dopamine or serotonin. I don't know how it works, but these things happen, and you have a feeling, and then, the, and then our emotions are a response to those feelings. And so when that happens, when something happens, those chemicals are released, we feel happy, we feel sad, we feel mad, we feel whatever. That's, that's just how it works. Uh, so at times... You might feel unloved. You might feel unlovable. You might actually feel unworthy of love. I am lower than whale dung in the bottom of the ocean. and No one, no one could love me. Paul tells us in Romans 12, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The pattern of this world is how we've been programmed by culture. That is what we take in through movies and music and and, uh, social media with lots and lots of Photoshop. And you may be inundated by those messages and say to yourself, clearly... I'm not good enough. I'm not tall enough. I'm not hot enough. I'm not smart enough. I am not cool enough. I'm not worthy of, it, of love at all. Speaking of great movie lines, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I should go back and see where that one ranked. Um, but Paul says, don't conform to that. Don't believe that. Instead, be transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind, by thinking differently. You can't always trust your feelings. See, I might say to you, you say, I don't, feel, I don't feel loved. I don't feel worthy. And I might say, well, Scripture says this, that you are. You are worthy, and you are beautiful, and you are beloved. And you say, but I don't feel like it. I don't feel that. So at that point, your feelings are conforming to the pattern of this world. And look, back in the day... (laughs) We were told, feel, feelings aren't right or wrong. And that's true. Your feelings can be right or wrong. Uh, their feelings themselves are not necessarily good or bad, but they cannot be our guide. That's the point. We we can't afford to live by feelings. So at the risk of sounding religious, I want to say this, that the word of God is a much better guide because it's it is truth. And it says, That you you are worthy of love and and it defines us, not culture, not Instagram, and not our feelings. Um, So if you play that out, the depth of that is that if we allow our feelings to be our guide, we'll never truly love. If we allow our feelings to be, a, be our guide, we will never truly love. We, you cannot live in love. That's what we're called to do. Live in love and you won't be able to do that because your feelings will be too erratic. Now, I want to do a little test case this morning. So, so uh, think about our enemies for a moment. Bro, I'm going to the next slide. You've heard that it was said, love your enemies. This is Jesus speaking. You heard that it said, love your your neighbor, hate your enemy, but I tell you, Jesus, I tell you, love your enemies. So what are we supposed to do? Love our enemies, right? Is that the right thing to do? Anybody agree with that? That's what we're supposed to do, love our enemies? Let me ask you a question. Do you feel like it? No. Why? Our enemies are enemies for a reason right? you 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 probably don't feel very good about that, but you know in your heart that's what you're called to do. So love is more than a feeling. I want to um, kind of wrap up today a little bit with a brief big biblical primer on love in in English we have one word, love, and we rely upon the context for meaning. So for example, I could say, I love my wife and I love pizza, but they don't mean the same thing, right? Sorry, honey. I love pizza. (laughs) That was a little joke. But obviously they mean different things. Um, So biblically, if you want to go one more slide for me, there are four words in Greek translated love in English. They are eros, which is Sensual or romantic love, kissy kissy up there on the left. Storge is familial love. You love your family, your your kids, your grandkids, your nieces and nephews. Uh, We we have a love for them. Phileo or phileo is brotherly love. That's what we have as believers. Sometimes, you know, I'll say to somebody here, I love you. And they say, I love you. And that's what we're talking about. Uh, And then there is agape. Agape, we understand, is the sacrificial love that God has for us. But, but. Here is the point of kind of the message today is that that agape love that God has for us that is sacrificial is also the love that we're called to have for one another. If you would uh, go to the next slide for me, John chapter 15 says, my command is this, Jesus speaking again, love, and that is agape, each other as I have loved you Greater love, agape, has no one than this, to lay down his life for one's friends. So Jesus is saying, this is what I did for you. I loved you with agape love, but I'm commanding you as well to love each other that same way. Go to the next slide. In Romans, Paul makes it clear that that's the love that God has for us. Who shall separate us from the love, agape, of Christ? Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the agape love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now here's the punchline. Go one more for me. 1 Corinthians 13, where we began today. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love agape, I'm only a resounding, gong or a clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy, and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. By faith that can move mountains but do not have agape, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have agape, I gain nothing. So, the non negotiable love that Paul says we're to have for one another, the, the love that is described in 1 Corinthians 13, is that same love self-sacrificial love that God has for us. And it really is more than a feeling because it really is a commitment. It's a self-sacrificial commitment that says, I choose to give value to another person. That's really what I'm doing in loving you is I'm, I'm ascribing worth to you. Um, And I'm willing to do that even at a cost to myself, even even if it means me taking the back seat, I'm going to ascribe that value to you, and that uh, is way way beyond a feeling. That's my point today. Love is more than a feeling. That really is a commitment and a conscious decision. It's an affirmation of worth of another person. It's when I say I love you, it really means you are worthy. And I acknowledge that before God, that you really are created in the image of God. You really are beloved of God. And Jesus really did die for you. That's what it means when I say, I love you. Agape love is comprehensive. It it involves the whole person. And it's how Christ's likeness really is formed in us. The process of walking our life out with Christ day by day is learning to love that way, sacrificially putting others before for ourselves it's it's how we learn to love unlovable people and let me just say you will not be successful at this all the time there are times in which you are not going to be that loving there are those times when I'm in the fast lane, and there's the guy in the Prius in front of me going 50, thinking he's doing everybody a favor. Yeah, I know. It's always a Prius. Um, and I have to learn to love them. I love you, Deb. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's the times when the guy down the street is walking his dog early in the morning. He stops and lets him poop in your yard. And you have to love that guy. Oh, I know. God. Uh it's putting away that self. I was going to say self-centeredness, really just self, putting away self and growing in our ability to love others regardless. And it does. It does involve our whole being. It's a thought process. It's not just our hearts. It's our it really is our minds because it's a conscious decision to say, I'm going to look past the externals and I'm going to agree with God and say, this person is worthy. This is a person Jesus died for. This person is beloved of God, regardless of of what my feelings might say or even my thoughts might be towards them right now. I realize God loves them. And so I'm going to commit to that process as well. And it's the exact opposite of judgment. It really is. So, so, so really, judge, judgment, when, I, when we make a judgment on somebody, what we're doing is we're extracting value and worth from them. We're saying they're not worthy. They're not worthy. I'm taking that away from them. So to love and to not judge are really two, you know, principal commandments, and you really fulfill them in the same act. Because when we love with the love of God, when we love with agape love, we're saying, I have no judgments on this person. I see them as God sees them. So, here's our homework this week. All right, is commit to being a little more loving. Just commit to being a little more loving. And and let me say this: it doesn't have to be a big thing. It doesn't have to be a big thing at all. Just smile at somebody. Just smile at them. Just say thank you. Thank you. I, I do this. I do this thing. Uh, I do a, just a couple things. I, when I go to the grocery store, so I park my car and there's somebody walking out with their cart. might be an older person, older than me, or maybe it's a, a mom with a baby or, or somebody with two or three kids or whatever. I will actually wait in my car for a minute until they unload their groceries. And then I'll walk in and on my way, I'll say, Hey, let me take your cart back for you. Oh, Hey, thanks. That's a little thing. It's a little thing, but it's an act of love. When, when I go to, Uh, Starbucks, which I do on occasion. Hey, 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 come on. I always, almost, pretty much, tell the barista, you're awesome. You're awesome. Just for making my coffee, doing what you do, making your whatever you make. 18 bucks an hour. How much do they make at Starbucks these days? But whatever it is, you're awesome. I say that to the to the, the waiter or waitress in the restaurant. Donna and I were out the other night and went to dinner, and this gal brings us an appetizer. I go, you are so awesome. And she got a big smile, you know. And then I thought to myself, how many people have told her she's awesome today? I don't know, maybe a few, but maybe None. So there's just little ways in which we can be more loving and infuse and inject a little bit of love into the world around us. Okay. Love is more than a feeling. It's a conscious decision to love others. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Cascade Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, Please visit cascadevineyard.org/give.